Well, our scripture this morning is uh, taken from the book of Ephesians. We are back in Ephesians chapter 5 today. Uh, we took a little bit of a break from Ephesians uh, for Palm Sunday and then for Easter. And then David preached for us um, last week. Um, and, and that was much appreciated. And we're going back to Ephesians today. And, and I wanted to say just kind of off the front, we spent a lot of time in Ephesians. And before that, we spent a lot of time in Judges. And why do we do that? Why do we just work through books of the Bible like that? Well, we do that because we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. That, the God, that God really does use the Bible and use all of it in our lives. That we need it from cover to cover in order to be equipped to, to be the people that God would have us to be. And so I know we're getting toward spring and we're getting toward graduation and we've got some, some people who are moving away. And I want to just kind of just make this advertisement, this encouragement, I guess, that as you leave and as you're, you're looking for another church, to find a church that teaches a Bible. They may not do communion every week. They may not sing songs the same way we do. That, that's fine. Find, find a church that believes the Bible and teaches the Bible because that's the way Jesus is going to grow you. Uh, in the faith. So that's that's a unpaid advertisement um, for teaching the Bible. That's a good thing. All right, so so we're in this we're in this section of Ephesians, and a couple of weeks ago uh, we were in the earlier part of chapter five where we worked through this section where, where Paul said to believers, walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, and he, he painted this picture of a Christian being somebody who's been brought out of the darkness of a world that, that rejects God and brought into the light of a relationship with the living God. He even goes so far as to say, you were darkness. Like that, that's, you were darkness. You were so far gone you could be categorized as darkness. And now you're light. And so walk as children of the light. What does that look like? What does that look like to walk as children of the light? A few weeks ago, we... we we said one of the things this is, is that we have a different sexual ethic from the world around us. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about that. Today we're going to look at, an, at another aspect of that, because what we want to do is, we talk about this in the new members class, we want to be in the world, but not of the world. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. My goal for you is not for you to run off and, and, and buy, you know, 400 acres in Kentucky or somewhere in Spartanburg County and have a Christian safe place where you have free range chickens and blog about how bad the world is. Okay, or we can just kind of get in our, our, our happy place and safe place. But at the same time, we don't want to get caught up and sucked into living in the same way that unbelievers live. We're, we're trying to figure out how to be in the world, but not of the world. How do we live as children of the light? We have a different sexual ethic. We talked about that. This week, um, I was going to talk about three more ways that we live as children in the light. Instead, I'm just going to talk about one, and, and, and we're going to focus on it here in verse 15. So I probably need to read this. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 15, um, this is God's word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, let me, let me pray for us. Father, this is your word, and, and we're praying that you would use it uh, in our hearts right now. Uh, not only that you would help us to, to pay attention mentally, but that you would really feed our souls, and this would stick with us, uh, and that you'd use it throughout this week and throughout our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. So you can see in those verses, there's a lot we could talk about. I, I am going to kind of hone it down to one thing today. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The, the King James says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And, and here's the point. Christians ought to think about time differently than unbelievers. Right? Christians ought to think about time differently than unbelievers do. Um, I don't mean that we should have like our own Christian daylight savings time and stay on that all year. Like we've got our own time zone for Christians. I don't, I, I, I'm not saying that, although that might be interesting. What, what we ought to do, what we ought to be doing is making the best use of the time. What does it look like for us as Christians to make the best use of the time? And I'm, and I'm probably not going with this where, you're, where you think I'm going with this, but, but let's think about this for a minute. What are some of the ways we think wrongly about time? What are some of the ways we think wrongly about time? All right, number one, we think we're never going to die. All right, and this is, this is primarily a disease of, of youth. Um, you know, you have that stage in life where you think you're bulletproof, you're indestructible, nothing's ever going to happen to me. We give no thought to the fact that one, way we're gonna, one day we're going to die. Psalm 90.12 says... Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We have a limited number, a finite number of days on the earth, and the Bible tells us to be aware of that and to make sure we're using those days well. I had a friend in Boone who used to pray. I used to love it when he would pray this. He would say, God, thank you for these days. Thank you for these days that, that you have given us and help us to appreciate these days, this finite number of days on this earth that you have given us. They are a gift from you. Um, secondly, we think wrongly about time when we think that this life is all there is. All right? We think wrongly about time when we think that this life is all there is or that we, or we live like that. Uh, this is the, the eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. All right? There are many people who would say, you know, you live, you die, that's it, done. That leads some people to despair. That leads many others to sort of this uh, hedonism. I'm going to get all the goody out of life that I can before I die. You only go around once. And this is, I think, one of the reasons we're so obsessed with entertainment whether it's sports or television or sometimes traveling can be this for us. All of these things entertaining ourselves, we can become so obsessed with 
because we want to get as much amusement for ourselves as much as we can before we die. Uh, scripture says that your life is actually, you have a finite number of days on this earth, but, but your life is actually going to go on forever in eternity. Either in the bliss of heaven or the agony of hell, but it's going to go on forever in eternity. And that ought to affect the way we think about our time in the here and now. And we ought not to get so caught up in simply seeking our own pleasure. I, I remember a couple years ago, I was, I was watching the Auburn-Alabama game, and I obviously loved that game every year. And I, was, and I was thinking, and this sounds kind of morbid, but I was thinking, I, I only have so many more times to watch this game. You know, like it's like in my like the number. It's like there's this, you know what? If I live to be eighty, then I've got thirty six more times to watch the game, and it's going down every year, and it's very depressing to me. All right, so y'all can send me to counseling for that or whatever. Um, but but if I was really thinking in terms of eternity, I would say there's something so much more glorious coming on the other side that I'm getting closer as that's going down. I'm actually getting to something that's so much better than, than my favorite things in the here and now, all right? We, we think about time wrongly when we, we live or think like, we think or live like this life is all that there is. Um, a, a third way we think about time wrongly, we think about it wrongly when we think it's my time and not his time. And, and and that's just kind of, I mean, it's simple. We think about time wrongly when we think it's my time and not his time. God says the best way to use your time is to love God and to love your neighbors. And we have to, to figure out how to do that. It looks differently for all of us. But there's this tendency in our hearts to say, no, it's, it's, it's my time. It's my time and I want to use it for me. All right, a, a, a fourth way we think wrongly about time. Uh, it's when we're lazy. It's when we're lazy. Um, Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. All right, so the lesson from that is it's what? It's be the ant. All right, that's what you can take home today. I need to, I need to be the ant. Uh, scripture condemns laziness. And, you know, our, our stereotypical idea of laziness, we think of the 30-year-old living in their parents' basement, working five hours a week and playing video games all the time. And the Bible's saying... Don't be that guy. Uh, don't be that girl. Uh, our, uh, the Bible gives us a ton of responsibilities. Our God is a God who works. Um, your time is not best spent sitting on the couch all the time watching Netflix. I'm not saying you can't do that. Today is a good day to do that. Um, but, I'm, but I'm making a point here. It's, it's not all about that. You have responsibilities to, to God, to your neighbor, to your family. Um, husbands are to, to love your wives as Christ loves the church, and that takes time. 
Scripture says, actually says, that, that anyone who doesn't provide for their family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Anybody who doesn't provide for the needs of their own family. We've got responsibilities to use time well, to eat, to sleep, to rest, to worship, to pray, to spend time with family, to study, to, to get stuff done, all right? We're, we're encouraged to do all of these things. Um, in my early days at App State, I probably would have done well as a campus minister to emphasize this point very strongly because it was known as Play SU, all right? And the demographics changed, but, but, but back then, like, those students needed to hear that message, and some of us need to hear that message. Um, laziness is condemned in the Bible. We're, con we're, we're encouraged to work hard, and sometimes working hard makes you tired, right? And that's, that's, that's part of life. Working hard makes you tired. But that said, and this is, the, this is my fifth and kind of thing I want to harp on for the rest of our time. I think what may be a bigger problem for us in kind of the, the middle class American demographic, um, professionals, Wofford students, VCOM students, is not that we're lazy. Our problem, generally speaking, is not that we're lazy. Our problem, generally speaking, is that we're busy, is that we're too busy. In fact, I'd say that our busyness shows how, practically speaking, we're not really believing the gospel. Um, we're busy. We're too busy for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons. Let me, let me give you this little quiz. You said, I'm not really busy. All right, I'm going to give you this little quiz um, from a book by Kevin DeYoung on busyness. Um, well, anyway, the quiz is from a different book, and then he replies with some answers, kind of tongue-in-cheek. But let me read you some of these questions, and I'll give you some of the answers, but not all of them. Here are the questions, all right? Am I, am I busy? Am I overly busy for the wrong reasons? Number one, do you regularly work 30 minutes a day longer than your contracted hours? And then his, then his answer is, what does that have to do with anything? I have a lot to do, so I have to work a lot of hours. Uh, number two, do you check work emails and phone messages at home? And then he says, are you serious? Have you been around much this millennium? Uh, number three, has anyone ever said to you, I didn't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? And he writes, of course, and I'm glad they have the decency to respect my time. Uh, number four, do your family or friends complain about not getting time with you? Well, I wouldn't call it complaining per se. They're still learning that quality time is more important than quantity time. Number five, if tomorrow evening were freed up, would you use it to do work or a household chore? Uh, number six, do you often feel tired during the day or do you find your neck and shoulders aching? And then he replies, Mountain Dew, ibuprofen, not a problem. Um, number seven, do you often exceed the speed limit while driving? Number eight, do you make use of any flexible working arrangements offered by your employers? And then he replies, definitely. I work at home. I work in the car. I work on vacation. I can work pretty much anywhere. Number nine, do you pray with your children regularly? And then he replies, I never turn them down when they ask. 
Number 10, do you have enough time to pray? Well, I'm more of a pray continually type of person. Anybody? Do you have a hobby in which you're actively involved? Does Pinterest count? Do you eat together as a family or a household at least once a day? More or less, when one person is eating, someone else is usually in the house at the same time. All right, we're, we're busy. We're busy. We're, we're incredibly busy. So what's the danger with that? What's the, what's the problem with that? Um, number one, busyness can ruin, ruin our joy. And, and I'm going to listen to what Kevin DeYard says. As Christians, our lives should be marked by joy, taste like joy, and be filled with the fullness of joy. Is your life marked by joy? Like, busyness erodes joy. Busyness erodes joy. One study found that commuters experience greater levels of stress than fighter pilots and riot police. When our lives are frantic and frenzied, we are more prone to anxiety, resentment, impatience, and irritability. Irritability. Busyness is like sin. Kill it or it will be killing you. Right? The, the reasons that some of us are so frantic and so stressed is because we're so busy. Secondly, what's wrong with our busyness? Busyness can rob our hearts. Busyness can rob our hearts. Remember the, the parable of the soils that Jesus tells about the guy scattering the seed of the word and it falls in different types of soil and there's only one type of soil where it really takes root and grows. Now, one of the, the, the types of soil where there's a problem, he talks about the seed falling among the thorns, and then the thorns grow up, and they choke the seed out. They choke the seed out so that it yields no grain. Okay? And so, it's obvious that, like, there was, there's something of a start there, but it didn't continue. The, the life of this believer, this supposed believer, did not continue. Jesus says that there are people who hear the word of God, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Enter in and choke the word and so it proves unfruitful. So, here's my question. Has your busyness throttled the work of the word of God in your life? Has your busyness throttled the work of the word of God we all got cares, right? The car needs fixing. The kids need to go to the doctor. The bills are due. The grass has to be cut. We've got obligations. And then what about all the time that gets sucked away from us because we've accumulated all these possessions and now we've got to grow to take care of them. And so we're busy. The young rights. As much as we must pray against the devil and pray for the persecuted church, in Jesus' thinking, the greater threat to the gospel is sheer exhaustion. Busyness kills more Christians than bullets. Busyness kills more Christians than bullets. And he writes, how many sermons are stripped of their power by lavish dinner preparations and professional football? 
How many moments of pain are wasted because we never sat still enough to learn from them? How many times of private and family worship have been crowded out by soccer and school projects? We need to guard our hearts, the seed of God's word, because the seed of God's word won't grow without pruning for rest, quiet, and calm. Busyness is dangerous to our souls. Um, conversion. Let's think about something about a faith in Christ. Conversion. There is this point in time where you come to trust Jesus Christ, but everything leading up to that, when you really abandon your trust in your own righteousness and fully rest on Jesus Christ, there's a process involved in that. There's this seeing of the word, seeding of the word of God in your life. And you're kind of gradually, it's like you're starting to get it. And there are people who are starting to get it, and they look like they've gotten it, who Jesus says are not really Christians. It's what he's talking about in the parable of the soil. That the word is sown, and like you respond to it, and you're like, hey! But then all this stuff crowds out the ongoing effect of the word of God in your life. And so the word never actually goes through the full conversion what he says. He says it chokes it out. The cares of this world choke out the work of the Word of God in our lives. There's a, a, a book many years ago by a Puritan writer called The Almost Christian. The Almost Christian. Like, you almost got it. But then the, the busyness, the cares of this world choke out the effect of the Word of God in our lives. But what's the root of our busyness? What's, why are we so busy? Uh, Eugene Peterson, <clears throat> one of my <clears throat> excuse me, favorite books on pastoral ministry, ministry is called The Contemplative Pastor. He says, I'm busy because I'm vain. I'm busy because I'm vain. I want to appear important. I live in a society in which crowded schedules and harassed conditions are evidence of importance. So I develop a crowded schedule in harassed conditions. When others notice, they acknowledge my significance and my vanity is fed. He also writes, on the other hand, I'm busy because I'm lazy. I advocate the work of deciding what's important and setting goals and let everybody else set my schedule for me. So I can be busy because I'm lazy. Uh, I can be busy because I'm lazy and don't set priorities. Kevin DeYoung, and I would encourage you, if this is striking a chord with you, he's got a very short book, appropriately, uh, on busyness. Uh, and he's got different chapters where he deals with different reasons um, for busyness. And I want to I touch on three of these and then really harp on, on the fourth. But one chapter he talks about um, how the screen tangles our souls. The internet, Netflix, social media, how that is just this giant suck in our lives. Um, but I would encourage you to, to try, maybe this week, like, just cut all that stuff off. I know you, you guys don't answer the phone. Sometimes have jobs that are related to that, and you, you can't just cut everything off sometimes. But as much as you can, just, just turn it off for a week. And just see what life is like without all that. And see if suddenly you've got more margin in your life thought you actually have. Uh, another chapter he says, 
we need to quit freaking out about our kids. We, we spend so much time and energy, we've got to have these perfect kids, and we have to arrange everything in their lives. He's like, you've got to calm down about all that and trust your kids to Jesus. Uh, a third chapter, he says, you're, it could be that you're trying to do more than God has actually given you to do. That you're just trying to do more than God has actually given you to do. But then it, the fourth chapter, and this is the one I want to pull a little bit more from. One of the reasons we're busy, and this dovetails with what Eugene Peterson says, we're busy because of our pride. We're busy because of our pride. And he tries to make all these P alliterations. I'm going to change some of them because they weren't they didn't make that much sense, but I'll leave some of them. Uh, types of pride, people pleasing. We're busy because we're people pleasers. Right? We, we, we can't say we can't say no to anybody because we. We want pats on the back. And so we do a lot of things. We overestimate our own importance. We overestimate our own importance. Right? You all have gifts. Hear me say that. All right? You're all important. Uh, everybody in this room has been given things by God to do unique things that we hopefully do well. But you're not irreplaceable. Nobody in this room is, is irreplaceable. Uh, Eugene Peterson talked about going. He had to have physical therapy three times a week for an hour, and suddenly he realized that nobody really missed him. He thought he was so important, and like, I'm gone, and nobody even noticed I was gone. Kevin DeYoung talked about going on sabbatical, and he came back, and the church was going better than when he left. Um, I thought I was important here. None of us are irreplaceable, and we're busy because we think we're irreplaceable. We've got to overinflate the sense of our own importance. Busy because of our possessions. Like it's fun getting stuff, but then you get that stuff and suddenly you're like, well, that broke and that broke and that broke, and the more I have, the more I have to take care of it. Suddenly I'm busy taking care of possessions. Swimming pools, anybody? Can I get an amen? Um, we're busy because we're trying to prove ourselves. We're busy because we're trying to prove ourselves. What are you trying to prove? What are you trying to prove? We're busy sometimes, and I follow this, we're busy because of poor planning. Like we actually have time, we just don't organize our, some of us are just bad time organizers. And so we're just, we're just sloppy with our time, and it winds up making us busy. We're busy because we want power, it's how we stay in control. We're busy because of perfectionism. And everything has got to be just right all the time. And it takes a lot of time to make sure everything is just right all the time. Uh, anyway, some of, some of the reasons we're busy. Well, what would it look like to not be so busy? What would it look like to not be so busy? Um, this, I want to read this. This is from Rosaria Butterfield. Now, you remember, I've quoted from her book before. She was the, the, the leftist lesbian professor in Syracuse who was miraculously converted. And I've been reading her book, and she's actually in a, in a church now that only sings psalms. What you talk about? Woo, that's, that's a big change, all right? Her life is very, very different now. But, but this is her talking about kind of one of the, how her life changed. And think about this in terms of busyness. She says, I was no longer plagued with anxiety after her conversion. 
the, the amount of toms I was taking went down. I just wasn't as churned up about everything. I, she said she quit intense running and started walking. I unsubscribed to a bunch of magazines and professional journals. I suddenly had time in my life to reflect. I took up gardening. I enjoyed baking bread from scratch for friends and neighbors. I relaxed. I forgave my enemies and enjoyed the solitude of daily prayer. I read and reread my Bible. I started to develop real friendships. Wow. It's like this driven professor, mad, doing everything lady, and she's like making bread from scratch. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. That's that's what unbusiness might look like. I'm not I'm not telling not tell everybody to go on and make bread from scratch. And that's pretty mature Christian, right? Um, go learn how to do that. But, but just think about how the gospel didn't just make her not a lesbian anymore. Like, she like got unbusy because she was able to rest in Jesus and what he had done. So how do we get there? How do we get there? I mean, let me throw a few things up for you to think about. All right? Got some of these down and talk with your with your family or your friends about this. And these are in these are in no particular order. But number one, since it is Sunday, um, start with honoring the Sabbath. Start with honoring the Sabbath. Rest. I mean, Jesus has given you a day where He's like, I, I, I want you to rest. I want you to, to forget about all those other responsibilities that you have here, like, and, and I want you to worship, and I want you to rest. Uh, students especially, believe Jesus and not your professors about the Sabbath. Um, put your books away and start resting. Tell your professors they can have their dean's list. But you'd rather rest. You'd rather rest. You'd rather, you'd rather it's more important for you to get to know Jesus than to be in honor society. You can't get to know Jesus if you don't have margin for rest and solitude in your lives. Your parents are going to get mad at you and mad at me if you tell them I said that. Um, but you'll thank me when you're 45 and you're not burned out. And you know how to rest. You know how to rest. Now let me throw you a bone on this. Because now you're all like guilty and overwhelmed and you have no idea how to actually do it. Are you just completely ignoring me? That's okay. Um... The Jewish Sabbath was actually observed from sundown to sundown. So if you want to observe the Sabbath from Saturday night at 6.30 to Sunday night at 6.30, if you've got a big test Monday morning, then you go for it. But get that 24-hour period in somehow where you're just like, I'm going to trust Jesus. That meaning to unplug from this, me believing that I'm not so important, me believing that the world is going to keep turning if I obey Jesus and not my Start with the Sabbath. Uh, number two, um, set priorities. Set priorities. Uh, I, I'm sure I've used this before. I know I've used it with some of you. Um, it's a, a time management illustration, but put the big rocks in first. And you know the illustration is if you take a jar and you fill it up with sand and pebbles, and then you go and try to wedge the big rocks in, they won't actually go in because it's already filled up with all the busy stuff. But if you take the big rocks and put them in, then you can actually put 
put the other stuff in your life and it will fit. Like the sand will go in and it will wiggle around the, the rocks and fill in there. Put the big rocks in first. You know, ask yourself, like, what, what are really the, the big rocks? My relationship with God, the ATV that's back here now. It's <laughs> back um, Get out of there. Um, what, what are the big rocks? Like, are you working on your relationship with God? Are you spending time with your family? Are, are you putting the big rocks in first? Are you resting? Uh, number three, quit. All right? Quit. Quit taking your kids to so many things. Um, kids' sports leagues, they're not always bad, but they're a huge idol in our culture. Your children are going to be okay if you don't have their live schedule from 6 in the morning until 10 at night every day. Quit. Quit doing that to them. Give them some margin in their life. Number, I think we're on number four. This will be fun. Quit your job. Some of you are going, yes. Who's funding this? Not me. Okay. Um, Here's what I mean by this. Most of us... Our, our two-income families, and this is not a diatribe against two-income families, okay? But, but here's what I want you to do. Sit down and ask what it would look like. What if one of us quit our job? One of us, what if one of us quit our job or at least significantly reduced our hours? Our jobs take up so much time, and so often we're we're pursuing these jobs because we've got the standard of income, the standard of living we're trying to keep. And we're so busy doing that that it's sucking all our time for anything else out of our lives. And so we don't have a relationship with our kids. We don't have time to pray because we're trying to maintain something. So sit down. And then that's what I mean you're going to quit. But sit down and have this honest conversation. Like, why does it start off with this? Why does it make me so mad? Why does it scare me so much that Justin even suggested? Like, why is that so threatening to me? What, what, what is so important to me that I can't even have a conversation about that subject? All right? Think about that. And, and, and do what you got to do. Just think about what that would look like in your lives. If you, if you made do with less so that you didn't have to work so much, so that you actually had time and margin for relationships, life. Um, number six, number five, I don't know. Um, I, let's talk real quick again about the real root of our busyness. The real root of our busyness. There's three things I want you to think about. Number one, we don't believe Jesus will provide for us. We don't believe Jesus will provide for us. I'm not doing all this stuff I don't believe Jesus is going to take care of me. Number two, we don't think Jesus is enough. We don't think Jesus is enough. I'm glad I have Jesus, but I really got to have all the stuff that I'm busy trying to accumulate and do in order to be happy. We don't think Jesus is enough. And number three, number three, we don't think we've done enough to make him happy. We don't think we've done enough to make him happy. Those are the root of so much of our busyness. Eugene Peterson, the pastor, wrote, How can I persuade a person to live by faith and not by works? 
if I have to juggle my schedule constantly to make everything fit into place? How can I persuade somebody else to live by faith and not by works if I have to juggle my schedule constantly to make everything fit into place? Busyness, at the end of the day, for many of us, I think, is a symptom of living by works. It's a symptom of living by works. It's a, it's a symptom of my and your incessant need to say, I count, I'm valuable, look at me, love me, respect me, dang it. Look at everything that I'm doing. Look, Mom, look, Dad, look, world, will you love me now because of everything that I'm doing? And in the gospel, Jesus comes to you and he says, I love you already. Stop what you're doing and will you come to me and rest? Will you come to me and rest? We do it every week. We come in here and we profess justification by faith, justification by faith, justification by faith. And then we go out there and day after day after day, what our busyness is saying is that we really believe in justification by by our Again, the gospel is Jesus saying to you, I love you already. Put your faith in me, not in your work, not in your business, not in your ability to produce. Rest. Rest. Pray for us. Father, I pray that you would